You know, as we were <clears throat> listening to that, I was just, it reminded me of a, the scripture in Revelation where there's kind of the, uh, John's giving us the image of, of the, the great war there in heaven when the dragon, the serpent, Satan is going to be, it's going to be thrown down. And in, in Revelation chapter 12, let's just start, this isn't part of what we're talking about today, this is bonus time. In Revelation 12, we'll start in verse 7. There was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and, and they were not strong enough. They meaning the dragon, Satan, and his angels, which we know to be demons. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, who is called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren, that's, that's how he saw Satan. That's how he refers to Satan here. The accuser of the brethren who has been, has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. Now let's stop there for just a minute. Basically, what we see happening right now, what's occurring, is the accuser, Satan, the dragon, is constantly, day and night, accusing you before God, trying to convince God of how unworthy you all are. Now, he's right. We are unworthy of all that. And so every time we make those choices, we make those decisions, all we're doing is giving more ammunition for Satan, who's accusing against you before the throne. So it's kind of, to me, I see this thing, it's like, have you ever been somewhere and there's just, there's a, there's a kid that's just constantly tattling on somebody else? Just constantly? And like, you want to just get them in trouble? You hope that they do something wrong. Because so, they're just constantly talking about what everybody, every other kid is doing. That's what I see here, and it's like this moment finally comes and God throws the dragon down. But look at how and why in verse 11. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of Christ, because of what he's done for us, because of the death that he paid, because of this, the, the blood that he shed that covers all of our sin, and because of the word of their testimony. That's what we just experienced even here this morning. Because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And the only reason that the word of the testimony makes any difference to anything is because there is not a testimony if it doesn't point back to the blood of the Lamb. And we heard that this morning. Both of the testimonies that, that we heard, that salvation experience, it was, I was a sinner, but my sins were forgiven because of the blood of the Lamb. So I just, in hearing those testimonies this morning, it reminded me of, of that and just the victory that we see. This is a small taste of what heaven will be like, is we're going to hear one another's stories. We're going to hear the testimony of the saints. We're going to get to hear the word of the testimony uh, and the blood of the Lamb. So it, that was um, an exciting time for us. It gives us a glimpse of, of, of who we are as a body, the people that make up our body and, and leave it to, to your children to make sure that, that there's never any pride that dwells up. You know, as Ronnie was, was thanking me for that, 
that time. I'm thinking, all right, yeah, thanks, Ronnie. That, that makes me. And then he says he was amazed. You know, I thought, man, <laughs> man, he was even amazed. That's... So then Claire leans over and says, I guess he wasn't expecting much out of you, huh? <laughs> so thanks, thanks, Claire. Thank, thank you, Ronnie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I amazed him only because he wasn't expecting a whole lot. So when you're not expecting much, if something comes out, then it amazes you, I suppose. So, but no, I do, I do appreciate those words, and, and, and you're right, Ronnie, that, that we do, there's nothing that I have to say. I absolutely have nothing to say that's of value to you as an individual or to this body, but God's word has everything to say. God's word has everything to say to us, and he has such, such rich um, knowledge in it. So let's, let's dive in. 1 John chapter 3, we got through verse 10 last week. We're gonna, I want to look at verse 10 really quickly, but then we're going to... Uh, to move forward, and the the plan is this week to finish chapter 3. Verse 10 of chapter 3, By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now last week we kind of looked at the fact where John really paints a very clear black and white picture. If you are not doing these things, remember we talked about the practice. If you are not practicing these things, if this is not who you are, if this is not the very essence of who you are, then then you're not of God. You're not of Him. You are not righteous. You cannot be doing unrighteous things constantly and practice unrighteousness, but yet claim to be righteous. That just doesn't make sense, and that's why John says, really, it's pretty obvious. And so we see that. But then the second half of verse 10, which really he expands on in the passage that we're going to look at today, he says, nor the one who does not love his brother. You know, sometimes I think it's, it's easier to try to do righteous things than it is to love your brother, especially as we dive in a little bit further and look in. Let's read 11 through 24, this entire passage, And then we're going to jump back and divide it into some sections here. For this, and he's talking about what he just talked about. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the devil, the evil one, and slew his brother. Now, interesting that that's immediately where he goes. He says, you should love your brother. And when you think of loving your brother, how many of you immediately think about the brother that killed his other brother? Is that where you go when you think about loving? But that's where John goes. He, said, he, po- he wants to point that out. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who abides, he who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? 
Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. We still know by this that we are of the truth, and we will assure our heart before him. And and whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn, condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. All right, now that's a whole lot. We just drank out of a fire hydrant right there. Let's go break it down, and the way I want to break it down is I think that John really gives us four levels of relationship. Four levels of a relationship. He starts with just saying we're to love our brother, but then as he goes down in these these next 13 verses here, he breaks that down, and we're going to look at these four levels of the relationship. First of all, in... in, um, Where did he start? In verse 11, when he talks about Cain... Our very first one in verses 11 and 12, the first relationship, level of relationship is, is murder. Now we don't, isn't that what happened there with Cain? Turn to Genesis. Let's flip back and look at that. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord again. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. So what was Cain doing? What was he doing? Sacrifice? He was a farmer. He was sacrificing. He was bringing a gift. He was going to church. He was going to church. He was even putting stuff in the offering plate. Does that sound familiar? That's what Cain was doing. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Now, we're not told exactly what this means. We're not told here, did Cain and Abel bring their offering to an altar and and Abel puts his up there and God flashes a big emoji thumbs up sign and I don't know. Was it, did God send fire and it burnt up that offering symbolizing his acceptance but with Cain's he didn't? We're not told exactly how, but we are told that Cain knew his wasn't accepted because he said his countenance fell. Cain knew that God was not pleased with his offering. Cain was going to church. Cain was even giving offerings. For all intents and purposes, if you're just somebody looking at these two, they're both religious people because they're doing things. They're doing religious things. Yet God regarded one offering 
and he had no regard for the other. Verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. God could see the anger dwelling within Cain and saying, you've got to handle, you have within your power to handle what's burning within you. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. You see, Cain thought that that the anger was the result of his brother. Well, if he wasn't as good, if he wasn't here to give his offering, maybe God would like mine. If it was this, if it was that, then maybe I would be happy. Any of that sound familiar? Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now he's not only a murderer, but he's also a what? A liar. A murderer and a liar. Let's stop right there. Turn to John chapter 8, the same author of the of the passage that we're looking at in John chapter 8. Verse 42. We see it's the words of of Christ here. Jesus said to them, says to the group, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. There's a, you, see the, you see the similarity here that we have with Cain. He was a murderer. He was a liar. That's our first level of relationship. It's our first level of relationship with our brother. You look at Cain and Abel, they had the same parents. They had the same upbringing. And really, if you were an outsider looking at them, they're both doing the same things. They're both going to church. Cain showed up and gave his offering. He did the right things, but he didn't do them the right way. He didn't do what God had commanded There's lots of discussion as to, well, you know, it was easier for Abel because he was the the farmer, so therefore he would have had uh, easier access to the blood sacrifice because that was what was required at that that time of the sacrifice. It needed to be a blood sacrifice. Remember, Cain's the farmer, so he's bringing, you know, I don't know, like lima beans and stuff. And so, so that's not a blood sacrifice. And so there's lots of discussion as to, well, what kind of God is this? God, the standard is what God says the standard is. And if the standard is a blood sacrifice, then what should Cain have done? Is there a way Cain could have offered a blood sacrifice? 
Absolutely. We can think of a half dozen different ways that could have happened right now. I'm sure he could have traded Abel, you know, four bushels of green beans for a goat. I don't know, okay? I don't know what the standard rate of pay for a goat is. But we understand where I'm, where I'm coming from. But might that have been inconvenient? It probably had more to do with an, an issue of pride. Cain thought his should be good enough. Just like oftentimes I think we think what we have should be good enough. God, if I'm willing to give you this, that's I value my time. I value my money. I value my life. So if I even give you this, you should be happy with that. You should be pleased with that. Who do we think we are? And how very similar do we sound to Cain when that's our heart and if that's our attitude? That first layer of relationship is murder. To whom did Cain belong? After reading this, after seeing who he is, after seeing what level of relationship he had to his brother, who was Cain's father? He was a murderer. He was a liar. Second level of relationship that John speaks of in 1 John. Let's look in verse 13 of chapter 3. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So our second level of relationship we see is, is hatred. Hatred equals murder, and murder equals the son of Satan. Look in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew 5 verse 21, again the words of, of Christ here, he's, he's giving further definition of the law. In verse 21 he says, you have heard that the Ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. I mean, you just got a little nervous. About what hatred is. About how Christ viewed that. How God views that. John gave us that in, in 1 John. That's his next level here of relationship. In verse 13, he says that we're, you're going to be hated. And everyone who hates, in verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And in Christ, we jump back, Christ gave us a definition of what that hate and what that murder was. 
If you have ill intent towards someone, it means even if you don't commit the act of murder, where's your heart? Where's your mind? You're guilty of that. Even if you don't pick up the knife, the rock, the gun, the whatever it is, if that's where your heart is, then you're guilty of that. Just like Cain showed up to church. He did churchy things, but it's not where his heart was. It's not where his spirit was. It's not where his mind was. We must be careful to make sure that we're not doing the things that are churchy things to check some boxes, but in reality our heart and our mind is in a place maybe even of hatred because hatred equals murder. And a murderer is the son of Satan. Now those are very harsh Words, but they're also very black and white. What I do appreciate of what John's telling us here is it's not that difficult. And I've said this before, but I think that oftentimes we try to make things very complicated because the more complicated I can make things, the better excuse I feel like I have not to follow in the ways of Christ because I can use this excuse of I didn't understand. I didn't get it. It didn't make sense to me. I'm not, I'm not real sharp. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. This is pretty simple, isn't it? God's word is saying not only is, does murder make you a son of Satan, but to hate your brother. To, to speak ill of your brother makes you a murderer. And thus makes you a son of Satan. Next level of relationship that we see John, John going with is indifference. Indifference. Look at verse 16 of chapter 3. He says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? This person that sees someone in need closes his heart against him. Did he go murder him? Did he even say that he hated him? Did he call him anything? Did he call him names? Did he do? No. But he did what? He did nothing. This next level of relationship is indifference. And I'm afraid often, often we find ourselves in that level. There are a few of us who have murdered someone. There are probably a few more who have hated in our hearts. But I wonder how many more of us have been indifferent toward others. Have just closed off our heart and our mind and said, that's not my issue, that's not my problem. The true test of Christian love does not lie in what we 
restrain ourselves from doing to others. Because we've all been there where we would really like to do something and we've restrained ourselves. That doesn't make you a great Christian man or woman. But rather in what and how we actively do for others. Sometimes we like to say that we are very Christian people because of what we restrain to do from others. What I, res- what I wanted to say and I didn't say, I held that back. So that makes me a great display of Christian love. But in reality, we display our Christian love not by what we restrain to do, but what we actually do for others. Another thing I want us to look at Notice John changes here in verse 16 from verse 10. Verse 10, he says what? About us loving our brother, the singular. Verse 16, he says we, we ought to lay down our lives for whom? The brethren. He goes from the singular to the plural. And here's what I think we need to see from that. The singular, I think each of us have individuals that it's easy for us to love. We have individuals that we would lay down our lives for. We have individuals that in no way would we speak hate, murder, or any of those things because the love of God does flow from us and it's an easy flow because we want to love them. John changes from the singular to the plural here because it's important that we understand it is not just that we love those that are like us. It's not just that we love those that are easy to love. But he says the brethren, meaning all of those that are believers is what he's speaking specifically to here. Now, we're to have a love for for all of God's people. We're to have a love for for all that are around, but there is a different and even another layer of relationship and love that we should have for the brethren, meaning all of us. That's difficult. Because we're all different, aren't we? I mean, I get, I'm not the easiest guy in the world to love. I understand that. Kind of a smart aleck, uh, you know. I just, I just, I am who I am. I don't know. I don't, I don't like me either that much. If it makes you feel any better. But I think it's interesting when John says he leaves the singular and goes to the plural. We need to take note of that. We need to evaluate where are we in that. Do we love the brethren? Or do we love our brother? Look what John says in his gospel, John chapter 10. In verse 11, this is Christ's words again. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf scratches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
Just what he's talking about here where he says that we, in verse 16, he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now lastly, this last level of relationship is a Christian love. A Christ-like love. In verse 18 of chapter 3, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive in him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. This is Christ-like love. This deepest layer of relationship. To love in word and in deed. This type of love produces two things. First, it produces assurance. And we see that here. Why, why? Because it's interesting that he's talking about all this love, and then all of a sudden he talks about our heart being assured. It's because John understood the believer, and he understood how feeble our hearts and our minds are, and he also understood the accuser. Remember that we talked about earlier? The accuser not only is constantly going before the throne and telling God all of your dirty secrets, trying to convince God that you're really not worth saving, but he's also coming to you to convince you that you're not worthy of Christ's love. And he's right again, you're not, however you do receive it. So in doing that, it's oftentimes that we begin to listen and our hearts become unsure as to who we belong to because we look at our own actions and we see ourselves in the mirror and sometimes it makes us unsure. That's what John's talking about here. When we are showing Christ-like love, you know what it does? It not only displays the blood of Christ to those that are around you, but it assures your own heart. It assures your own heart of, of to whom you belong, that I am His. It also helps us to abide. We see that there in that, pas in that passage. It helps us because in doing that, as we show Christian love, as we show Christ-like love, which means we lay down our lives for others, which is so much deeper than just sacrificing our physical bodies for them, but laying down your life for others means putting them ahead of yourself. Indeed, in the things that you do, in how you think of them, in how you pray for them, it is not just a matter of being willing to take a bullet for someone. That's a very honorary thing. You know, obviously, and there are a few that sometimes have those opportunities to actually sacrifice their life for one another, but this speaks so much bigger than just that. It's about the things you do and your attitude of life, that in everything you do, it's not just in what you say, but it's in your deed. You're showing that Christ like love. And it helps you to abide in him. But then what did he say? 
and he in you. That spirit that lives within us. So this level, this deepest level here of relationship that John talks about, this Christ-like love, in the end, it's really not even about doing something for somebody else. But it speaks to the very nature of our God that we serve, that whenever we show a Christ-like love, to whom gets the benefit? Again, he gives you the benefit. He gives you the payout, because of the assurance that your heart then receives. So to whom do you belong? Are you a murderer? Do you have hate? Are you a hater? Are you just indifferent? Do you take pride in your indifference? Or are you truly displaying Christ-like love. That's how you find the assurance. Some of you were here this morning and you heard two testimonies, you you heard two stories of lives that were changed, of lives that came to a very real point in their life that they realized, I understood I once was a sinner (laughs) and was separated from a perfect and holy God. And I came to an absolute point in my life that I realized that. And I confessed who I was in light of who God was. And I accepted the gift of salvation. And now I am His. We heard that this morning. In hearing those stories this morning, there may be someone that was here that said, you know what, I... I'm a lot like Cain. Maybe I haven't actually murdered someone, but I'm doing all the churchy things. And if you saw me from the outside, I'm checking all the right boxes. But I could be labeled a murderer, a hater, for sure indifferent. I'm not able to display Christ-like love because I've never experience the blood of Christ. That can change today. Let's pray. Father, as we close this this time of, of looking at your word, Father, the time of worship that we had that was, uh, maybe it didn't have guitars and drums, But, Father, it was a a sweet sound of hearing your saints tell your story. Because this is our story, this is our song. That we are covered by the blood of Christ. And, Father, this morning as we look at at the levels of relationship that John has written for us, Lord, I believe there were some here that that have to evaluate where they are because they know that their heart struggles with this assurance of to whom do they belong. Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to those individuals today, this week. Lord, those that are yours, that you would give them an assurance that you are their father.
Father, those that are not yours, I pray you would display to them their their depravity, their need for you. Lord, I thank you for the example that you've given us in your Son. Father, thank you that we have a word, we have a testimony. Lord, we have an assurance in you because of the love that we can show. And the only way that we can actually show that love is because of your Spirit that indwells us. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray this morning that everything that has been said this morning... Lord, the word that's been taught, that it brings honor and it brings glory to you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.